Hashtag Pistons Podcast. We're back. I'm Joe. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. I'm joined as per usual by Mr. Kumail Cahill. You can find him on Twitter at NBA. We have a special guest with us today as well, Mr. Hal Bridius. You can find him on Twitter at Hal Bridius. He's also the host of the Busted Header podcast, Pistons Twitter extraordinaire. Um, so, yeah, we're all here. Obviously, earlier today, the Detroit Pistons completed their trade business, which was to trade Andre Drummond for a bag of peanuts and nothing else. Um, officially, they got back. John Henson, our beloved Brandon Knight, homecoming, and a 2023, right? 2023? I think so. Um, second round pick, and it will be whichever one of the three second round picks from that year that the Cavs have that is the lowest. So, essentially they got, as the kids would say, jack shit in return for Andre Drummond today. And they made no other moves. Derrick Rose didn't get traded. Markeith Morris didn't get traded. Langston Galloway didn't get traded. Uh, in fact, the only other movement that happened, they had to cut Tim Frazier in order to make room because obviously they took back two players while only sending one out. Um, the only other thing I saw is that someone did mention that there's a possibility that Reggie Jackson could get bought out later on, but that it is too early to talk about that. So for now, that's all the movement that's going to happen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if later on more talks started happening about them potentially buying out one or two of the veterans, but for now, it sounds like that's not a priority. So, yeah, uh, I know that Koo's got some stuff he wants to say, so we'll just let him start us off and we'll go from there. So, Koo, tell us your thoughts on trading Andre Drummond for a bag of Cheez-Its and not doing any other business on the day. Well, people like Cheez-Its, man. Yeah, I mean, Cheez-Its are good. I would rather have Cheez-Its, Cheez-Its are way than higher Henson. value than... Yeah. A so. bag of Cheez-Its probably weighs more than John Henson, too. Rick, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine when John Henson and Thon Maker play together? That's going to be, like, the smallest front court ever. Were they together on the Bucks? Uh, they would have been, for at least a little bit. Okay. Okay, sorry, Koo, go ahead. Serious serious business here. Alright, so Joe, on the last podcast did you ask did you not ask me uh didn't you ask me a question along the lines of uh would you just trade Andre for nothing? Like we did a little scenario. Who would you trade for the value? Who would you just wanna like get out of here? All and I said on the last podcast that I believe that if you trade Derek Rose, then you should only be trading him if you get the proper value back for him. But I believe that if you were trading everybody, then Andre, you could settle for a little less than his value. Since it already sounded like his value was low. But that, that, I said that, so all the people who listen to that are assuming that I'd just be happy about this. But I thought we were going to trade the rest of our veterans. I didn't know that we were just going to say, okay, we're only trading Andre. By the way, the one person who's not taking up any of the young guys' minutes and then just say, okay, we're going to keep the rest of the veterans who are eating up our young players' minutes. So young players are still not going to see increased minutes because for everything I've been told is Dwayne Casey's not going to just not play the veterans and piss off the lock and have a bad locker room. So he's not going to just do that. So no minutes were, uh, no minutes were cleared for the young player. And then to add on, this is the big thing I want to talk about because I got into a screaming match earlier with with our friend Sham, and there's more people who agree with him on Pistons Twitter, and I would go into a screaming match with all of them if I, well, I just don't have the time and energy. So uh, let me just say here, 
this whole thing that, oh, well, at least you got something for him. First of all, that's false. We got nothing. That That's not true. We got nothing for him. This The 2023 second-round pick is the equivalent of nothing. That That's one. Two, even if you want – this is this is the thing. So I believe a lot of people under the assumption or at least believe that more likely of a chance than it was at the beginning of the year that he opts in. Andre Drummond's going to opt into his contract. Everyone that believes that has said that if he opts in, his trade value would then break. Everything we've read, Joe, you can confirm this if you want to chime in real quick. It, have we not heard that one uh, that him, the reason why his value is so low because of uncertainty with his player option? Yeah, I mean, it also it just makes sense to a degree that the uncertainty around whether or not he's going to opt in or not. So good teams, so just for instance, so like the Clippers, um, the and the Portland's not that good, but Portland would be another option. Boston, etc. So teams that are trying to win basketball games now that need a center uh, would be less. They probably prefer him to be just a rental so that they can have him. Uh, he's more expensive than they probably would want for one year, but they'll make space, and then he's off the books after one year, and they don't have to worry about him messing up any future cap stuff. Whereas bad teams like the Hawks, like the Cavs, et cetera, would probably prefer him to not opt out because you know why would if you're I'm if you're the if you're the Cavs, why would you give up real assets for a guy who could potentially end up being a rental? You know, this season effectively it doesn't matter if he. It doesn't matter, especially when you consider that those teams could hypothetically just go after him in free agency this summer. So the uncertainty there kind of, it almost scares off both groups of teams. So if it either wasn't a player option, uh, so either way, or he had just already for, and obviously there'd be no reason for him individually to do this, but if for some reason he had already opted in or out of the last year of his contract, it would have brought a lot more clarity, and I think that his trade value would have gone up. So if he had already opted out for whatever reason, then I think contenders would have had a lot more interest in him. But like Portland, they don't want to get him for... In Portland, I always thought it was an intriguing option because they have an easy salary match, and they've got Hassan Whiteside. So if Andre wasn't expiring for sure this year, they could have essentially traded Hassan Whiteside for Andre Drummond straight up with any sort of an asset attached, and you basically upgrade from Hassan Whiteside to Andre Drummond for this year, which is obviously a significant upgrade. And then Andre could have left this offseason or whatever, and then they get Nurkic back. Although Nurkic might play at, at the end of this season, but we'll see how he looks. But that's just an example. But the fact that he could potentially opt in, they really wouldn't want that. Because if he opts in, then you've got Nurkic and Drummond, and you don't want that. Plus, they've got a pretty fat um, payroll as it is. So they wouldn't. They just wouldn't want that. Uh and, yeah, on the flip side, so, like, I think that if they knew Andre Drummond was opting in, I bet you that Hawks deal that was uh, talked about earlier on, I bet you that gets done because the guy they ended up getting, Clint Capella, is under contract for, what, three more years after this year, I think? So, clearly, getting a guy who they thought was going to be around for at least a little while was a, a priority for them. So, it's just one of those things where... There's not anything you can do about it, but it just it, I think it really spooked teams both ways. And you could see it by the way that people talked about right after the trade, is that there are some people who they said, you know, at least they got some kind of value for him because he's going to opt out this summer. So what if you lose him for nothing? Then there's also people who are looking at it as a positive because, you know, well, what if he'd opted in this summer? And then you then you don't have any cap space, which we'll talk about why that's a stupid way to look at it. Oh, yeah, I'm that's sure. what I want. Go that's, for it. Go that's on. what I want to lead into. 
Okay. So, so yeah. So basically, Joe Joe has been Joe seen the same thing. I'm sure Hal seen the same. The the player option was the uncertainty, and that's what drove down his value. So, Liz, I was gonna write about this, but I found myself trying to write about like trying to write what I was gonna say, and I just couldn't find the right way to say it. So hopefully, I can like articulate good enough here for you guys like to understand like what I mean. The Pistons got a second round pick for Dre. Okay, that's basically nothing in three years. And it's going to be the worst second-round pickup, like the three that they the Cleveland has. It's going to be the worst one. So it, it, you basically got him for nothing. Everyone agrees that if he opts in, his value goes up because then you have certainty over, like, what's hap- what you're getting. You're getting expired. Correct? His value goes up? Most likely. Okay. So what I'm saying is, guys, it's hard. I, I, I know what I'm saying, but it's, like, hard for me to articulate. So basically what I'm saying, it's worth the risk. It would have been worth the risk. To go into the offseason, hoping hoping that he actually does opt in, so then you can trade him for more value and take the risk of him opting out and you losing him for nothing than just giving him away for nothing, basically. Like, basically what I'm saying is, like, if we traded him, like, let's say we trade him for a young asset or a first-round pick or a second-round pick this year. Let's just say like the anything of, like, happens. You get yeah, a late first-round pick. If they will just trade him for anything of value or anything that like meant anything, then okay, you trade him for something you didn't lose him for nothing. That that that's that will have been worth the risk. This was not worth the risk. I would have been gladly I would have gladly taken the risk that he potentially opts out and you lose him for nothing. And with the with the possibility of him opting in and then you being able to trade him for something, rather than just shipping him out for basically nothing just now. Because that's basically in my eyes, you basically he basically, that's basically in my eyes what just happened. He didn't, you didn't get nothing back for him. He walked. So I would have rather have just taken the chance that he opts in instead of leaving and then try to trade him once he opted in because his value would have went higher. And this is the thing I absolutely promise you guys. I promise everyone listening. I promise everyone, Hal, Joe, I promise if I, I promise you that second round pick was not going anywhere. That, that you could have not done any worse in the trade. If he opted in this summer, I promise you, you could have not have gotten any worse of an offer than you just got right. I promise. So you could have only gotten better off. You could have only gotten a better offer if he opted in this summer. This was not worth it. This was not worth not wanting to wait. This is just, it, it was awful. This is a terrible, terrible decision. I, I can't stand I And like I said, I was on here saying that I wanted him gone so we could start the rebuild. I, but that was under the assumption that we were getting rid of everybody else, too, to clear up the young. I didn't know that we were just going to give him away for nothing and then keep the same veteran the guys. So, like, this is awful. This is, this is pitiful. And one of the guys that follows me earlier, I wanted to give him a shout-out. Give me just a second so I can pull up the mention. But he said it in a much better way than I could have said it. Let me find it real quick. Um... His name is Alejandro, and you know I'm not gonna I'm gonna keep it a buck that he says some things that I don't really agree with a lot of the times. But this one right here, he says something that I, I thought hit it on. He says, opting in his 28 million dollar expiring would be an extremely valuable asset in the summer of 2021, the biggest free agency summer in NBA history. Teams will be fighting each other to clear cap space to sign two or three max. Detroit gave away that trade chip for a 2023 second round pick. Awful. And that's precisely what I'm talking about. They passed up that because they simply refused to take the chance that he opted out. And like I said, if they were, if they did that because they wanted something good and they were getting something good right now, fine. But you got nothing. Nothing. And then to think about the fact that they almost got rid of Luke yesterday, too. Luke was almost gone yesterday. So we, we were very close to having our trade deadline look like 
Andre and Luke Kennard being the ones traded and nobody else. That was almost our trade deadline. That was going to be our trade deadline. Very close to it. So, yeah, this was this is a blunder, and I've lost all confidence in the front office. All. Hell, you can go. Yeah, we better let Hal's. Hal, have at it. <laughs> I had to rant. I told you guys I was, I was fearing. Oh, I'm sure I you'll had, rant more. Go. I'm sure there will be more. <laughs> so, there's a bit of a logic conflict for me when it comes to this, because this whole idea that Andre has to get traded for this, like, you can't use this cap space that you're getting until next summer, because that's when the next trade window opens. So, the worst thing that could happen next summer is he opts out and you get this cap space anyway. Right? Right. So, you didn't actually get any cap space out of this. And the thing is, oh, well, you got something. Well, that something is this, is this second-round pick, which is like, what, the 55th pick maybe? Like, it's going to be a terrible second-rounder. You can buy that for like two million bucks. You just hand somebody cash and be like, I want your second round pick, and they give it to you. Didn't they literally That's not do actually that any value. At this last draft? Isn't that how they got the one for Jordan? That's, Didn't they literally right. buy the Jordan Bone pick? Right, right. You yeah. get you get cash assets and you just hand people up to five million dollars and they give you picks. Yeah. So you didn't earn anything. This whole idea that, oh, you got something for Andre. Complete nonsense. You didn't get anything for him. And as Ku said, if he opts in, you know, this. I also, I, you see the number quoted. Oh, it's, it's what is it, $28 million, $29 million, something like that for his. Yeah, 20, I think it's 28.7, something like that, whatever. He's making $27 million this year. That's not a bigger number that he's making this year. It's not some massive, it's just Andre for another year. And Andre was good last year, and he had a terrible roster this year because everyone is hurt. So if you say, hey, maybe you get healthy, like maybe you get the Andre of last year, which is a good, fun player to have on your team. You didn't lose anything by holding on to him. You, you didn't gain anything from this except the fact that you don't have to make the decision anymore. You didn't even, because if, if they had made this trade uh, a month ago and they'd had this window to maybe use this cap space slash expiring like maybe there'd be something in there that but they didn't get anything literally they got zero value for trading Andre Drummond other than passing on the decision and no longer having to do it anymore so that I think is probably the biggest disappointment and then one of the things that really drives me nuts is that they traded him to the Cavaliers who are a terrible team for Andre and so you have this trade where you're saying, Andre, we, we spent a month saying, Andre, you ain't shit. And we traded you a team, traded you to a team that isn't going to help you recover your reputation at all. Going into this next free agency, they just left him hanging out to dry. And this is the best player the Pistons have had in the last decade. So what a way for the era to end. Yeah, I mean, and so to kind of tack on to things that both of you guys said, so the first thing is this. So both of you said this, that, you know, you couldn't have gotten less than this, right? Like, that is as little value as you can get for a player. So, Ku, when you're saying it's worth the risk of him opting out, that's because there is no risk. Like, even if you really want to make sure that you've got this cap space this summer, right? 
which we'll talk about the potential of them spending it on like Fred Van Bleed or something later, which I don't think any of us would be particularly fond of. But regardless of that, if that's the plan, right? They they've got some specific targets. They want that cap space this summer. You can almost certainly trade Andre for this this summer if he opts in, right? Like, no one's going to give you less than that. You know, literally match some expirings. I mean, it's just... I guess the only thing... It's just... So, you can trade him for that. that. That That's something you can do later. I just... It's just baffling to me that they do that. But more so is that they traded him and they didn't do... And Hal, you kind of talked about it too, is the... There's a little bit of a intellectual disconnect, it seems, in terms of direction stuff. So it's like, well, you've got to trade Andre because we need to get direction for the team and that stuff. But then you don't trade any of the other veterans. You don't oh, yes. You don't manage to move Markeith Morris. You don't manage to move Langston Galloway. You don't... And supposedly they didn't want to trade Derrick Rose, and that's partially for non-basketball reasons, which I've said before that's okay with me, I guess, if that's what you needed to do to get Derrick Rose and fine whatever. Uh, Is it really okay with you? Yeah. That well, drives me nuts. Well, I mean, it's a little silly, but the reality is that if you're the Pistons, you're not a free agent destination as it is. So if Arn Tellum tells a guy who's a good player, you know, you can come here and we'll like we'll 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 go out of our way to make sure that we don't do something you don't want. I mean so It's for, not ideal. Forgive me for button in here, but what did you earn out of that? So you paid Derrick Rose $8 million a year or whatever for two years. You're not winning anything with Derrick. The idea, normally you would do that because, okay, Derrick's a good value contract, and maybe next year you can sell him, but apparently we're not allowed to sell him. So you're just <laughs> doing this as a favor to Arn Tellum? Well, but, but at the same time, you just sold Andre and made it, like this is an embarrassing deal for Andre. Yeah. You, just, you just really disrespected the most important player to your franchise for the last 10 years. So you're like normally if you're going to do a favor for this agent in Arntellum, it's a for an agent, not the guy who's already left being an agent and is now, you know, part of your front office. B, it's so that you can build this reputation as being good for your players, which you just trashed. So I don't really get what doing favors for like Derek Rose is a good player, but. I I don't get why it's such, and I also don't get why Derek's like I gotta be in Detroit either. I don't get yeah, that. Yeah, that's the thing to me that's most confusing me. Like, if you're Derek no, Rose, why would you not want to go to? I like maybe you don't want to go to the Lakers because that's such a crapshoot, and Derek is pretty well known as a guy who doesn't necessarily appreciate like super hyper media attention. So if you don't want to go to the Lakers, okay, but like, why wouldn't he want to go to like I don't know, like the Pacers or something? You know, no, like I get it. he could go to various other teams that are even if it's not one of the tippy top contenders, he could go to a team where he could play like meaningful minutes and meaningful games. But I guess basically just because I know that given where the season has gone, you're not getting anything from it. But had the season not completely fallen apart with injuries. All right, and then you think about Derrick Rose on a really good contract, which that is a good value contract. It looks like right now, I would say, um, you know, if that's what it takes to do that kind of a thing, I'm just, basically if Arn Tellum is going to pull strings and basically be like, "Look, Derrick or whoever, you trust me because I was your agent. We're not going to do you dirty. Like we we won't do that to you." I just that's that's not something that bothers me because if you need to be able to get good players, and if that's what you do to get a good player, that's okay. Um, 
I'll also say that it doesn't bother me that much, this idea of you disrespected Andre, just to be honest. Um, because, I mean, so like there is, who you were saying in the group chat earlier too, so they didn't tell him about it and this, that. It's not a secret he's been in trade talks. He's been in trade talks every year of his career for like the last four years, right? So, I mean, it just, it's part of the sport. Well, and to be fair to the Pistons, it's not like they wouldn't have told him. It's that our media cycle is so much faster than their official ability to report that kind of stuff. And that's, I'm fine with that. What I'm not fine with is, like, I'm even, I'm fine with Arn telling me, like, hey, Derek, we're going to treat you right. What I'm not fine with is the idea that he's completely untradeable. Well, they like didn't... It's, fine, it's fine that Derek's like, hey, Derek, we want to get something for you. You know, give us two or three teams you really want to be with. And, you know, maybe we'll take a lesser deal to get you to a destination. Like, that's cool. Because that is how you build good a good reputation as a front office. This idea that we're not going to trade an asset whatsoever, not okay. <laughs> well, they didn't, they didn't say that. They just said that their price was going to be really high. Um, so they really, they wanted at least, like, a not bottom third first round draft pick in return for him is what it sounds like and um pretty much all the beat writers have said that so it's not that they were totally unwilling to trade him it's that they're like look he wants to be here so we're not going to give him up unless you give us a you know an offer that's you know basically a godfather offer that's like look we'd be absolute idiots to not so basically we're not going to trade him for a couple second round picks or something like that so that's what my understanding of it is um so okay if some team offered them a first round pick and it looked like that first round pick was going to be, you know, at least 20th. I'll be pretty disappointed if they turn that down. But most reports suggest that they were pretty firm. We want at least a first round pick and no one was quite willing to meet, meet that. So just given that I'm just, it's not something that bothers me. And perhaps most importantly is that he's under contract for next year. So that's true. They can still trade him. Are you not a little concerned that they used the media cycle to perhaps dissuade people from ever bidding anything close to a first-round pick? Maybe. There's also the fact that he got hurt right before the deadline. I wonder if that maybe cooled it off a little bit. Um, Look, there's a lot of different ways. Look, we could well find out that, no, they they were like, no, unless a lottery team wants to trade for him, which, of course, no lottery team would trade for him. Because why would a team going to the lottery want Derrick Rose? Just like, why would the Pistons want Derrick Rose on the roster still? But, you know, if, if it was something like that that we find out later, then yeah, that'd be pretty stupid. But based what? on what we know, they pretty much said, we want at least a first-round pick if you're going to get him, and no one was willing to divvy up. Whether that's because the Pistons kind of used the media to dissuade people from doing that, whether that's because, you know, he hurt his groin right before, and that that's the sort of injury that, that could be kind of nagging. And obviously, with Derek's injury history, that's gonna that probably spooked at least some teams away. So, sure, I don't know exactly what the deal is. Just the base idea of, look, we're not gonna we're gonna give you preferential treatment. It's not ideal, but I'd rather be realistic than idealistic on these sorts of things. Where you're, de- you know, you're not Miami, where Andre Iguodala is just gonna sign a extension with a player option with a team option in the second year just to give you flexibility. You know, that's not gonna happen in Detroit. So. No, that's just not saying that upsets me, I guess. But the overall larger point that we were talking about um, was just that. So if they had traded everybody else, maybe they keep Derrick Rose because of this thing. Okay, 
They trade all the other veterans, and the ones that they don't manage to trade, it's already like they're buying them out. So, you know, so let's just say they managed to trade Markeith and um, Langston for anything. Like, even if it's tiny, even if it's like, like you trade Langston Gallery for like the option to swap second round picks with some team down the line or something like that. And then we get through the deadline. So, okay, so you've still got Reggie Jackson. Uh, you've still got Tim Frazier then, obviously, too. And it's like, we're buying them out. We don't want all of the all of the guys who are on expiring deals that are not young guys. We're getting rid of all of them. And it's clear that this is a total and complete house cleaning. They're just dead set on every single veteran on this roster we want out. Right? If that's clear that that's what the option was, then I'll be a lot less... I'll feel a lot less icky about the Andre trade, basically. Because it would show a clear direction for the team. Because then you could actually make that case that a lot of people have talked about that they needed to get rid of Andre to make that direction clear. But the direction actually isn't clear because not only did they not manage to move any of the other veterans, there hasn't really... They actually downplayed the idea of buying out Reggie Jackson when it was brought up. So... It's like, so what happens now? So for the rest of the season, are Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose both going to play 25-plus minutes per night? Is Tony Snell going to keep starting? Is Markeith Morris going to play 25 minutes a night? Uh, Don't forget know, there's also Brandon Knight, yeah, so there's three what are point you, are you, Yeah, are you going to play Brandon Knight? Like, are you, are you going to play John Henson? I mean, it's just... Well, just to just to add on, is that I don't know if it's going to be the same thing any, anymore, but I like I said earlier, I've been told that Casey's just not going to stop playing the veterans because that's going to piss off the locker room. And yeah, exactly. And that's the, the issue is that when you've got those veterans and you don't buy them out, either you play them and then you're not playing your young guys and veterans help you win basketball games. And this is one thing to keep in mind is because they only traded Andre, just because of the way things work out, they may end up before too long not being that much worse because for most of the season, Derrick Rose has been their only healthy ball handler. And now going down the last, what, 30-ish games of the season, Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose are both healthy now. They now have Brandon Knight, who's, he, he can still play a little bit. He's a ball handler. And Luke Kennard's going to be healthy soon. So, you know, the thing that killed them all season is obviously Andre being gone will make them worse, but they'll get back stuff now. So there's a decent chance that they don't just completely suck the rest of the season. So it just seems like you're almost getting the worst of each world. So you traded this sort of beloved franchise icon. You're still probably going to end up with, at worst, like or at best, like the sixth or seventh pick. And you got effectively no assets out of any of this. And that's what's kind of frustrating to me. That especially the idea that you supposedly did this to try and throw money at Fred Van Vliet this summer. Like, really? You traded Andre Drummond to, throw, to overpay Fred Van Vliet. That's what we did this for. So it's just, there's no part about it, the way that this trade deadline. And then on top of all that, you had two different times you had trades leak in full that didn't happen. That's not a good sign either. Not to mention one of them, they, let, let me just say this one more time, closer to the mic. They very nearly traded Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard was going to be the other person, not a veteran, the two players traded at the deadline were very nearly Luke Kennard and Andre Drummond. That very well, that almost was the reality. Yeah, and that's like, the fact that that trade did not happen is probably, that's probably like the one thing 
that has kept this from being like an absolute disaster deadline, in my opinion, to be honest. Like if they'd done that canard deal, I would have been I would have been utterly distraught right now. No, it's already a disaster. Uh, no, nah, this is I, a disaster. at least they didn't decide I, to try and become buyers. I I think this is maybe the worst trade deadline I've ever seen out of a front office. To be honest with you, thank you. Yes, I mean between okay. between getting literally nothing for your star center and looking this bad doing it, and not moving any of your veterans, and clearly not having a plan. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they went into this with a whole lot of options, made one big move that did nothing, and I, this is ugly. I, there's, there's, it's not even like they made a gamble that isn't likely to pay out. They, they did a whole lot to go nowhere, and it's awful. Like I, I had a lot more faith in Ed Stefanski coming into this deadline and now i have no idea what to believe of him and the rest of that front office because this was the worst handled way they could have done it they could have tried to become buyers just sort of i would have i would have actually appreciated that more yeah i i would have at least once again at least that would have been a direction like we're still like questioning what the hell is going on no i I think that would have been worse I think that would I think it would have ended up worse, but I would have been a lot happier thinking, yeah. okay, at least they believe going into next year, we have Andre Drummond, Luke Cards back, yeah, uh, okay. Blake Griffin's healthy. You know, they want to try something. Like, I'm okay running back to last year and trying to get another six seed. And you know, if, if that's, I'm fine with that personally. I understand a lot of people are not, and a lot of people want to blow it up, but like. I, my my goal for the Blake Griffin era was always to ride out Blake Griffin's contract, try and have some fun while it lasted, and do something later. Well, yeah, this and, is not that, and, and we still have Blake Griffin on the roster, by the way. Yeah, who is not going to want to be here to next say, year. Yeah, I was just and, about to say we still have Blake. I think um, one of the things you said there is also one of the keys for why this is so frustrating. So it's like a lot of people wanted to blow the team up. They didn't blow the team up. They traded Andre Drummond for nothing. That's all they did. They didn't blow the team up. No, this felt a little personal. It was it was pretty much just fuck you, Andre. I mean, and it, we'll deal with the rest later. Here's kind of the thing, and and Ku can back up anyone who's listened to the pod regularly can back this up that um, I've not been overly impressed by this front office so far. They've had a couple of good moves. They've had a couple of not so great moves. Uh, so you know, so like Seku looks like he's a good pick. Bruce Brown was a good pick. Uh, Svi Mikhailuk looked like a nice pickup. Uh, they traded up for Kyrie Thomas, though, and he looks like a total miss. Glenn Robinson ended up being a total flop. You know, just, it's there, it's there. So there's been some of each. So it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. But this deadline was the first big test that they had and how they dealt with the Andre Drummond situation. And it's hard to come away feeling good about it. Definitely. And I guess to your point of even if they become buyers, at least there would have been that direction. Which so like just as a for instance, as much as Stan Van Gundy's front office abilities frustrate a lot of people, and rightfully so, there was always very clearly a direction. There was never any question about that. First off, nothing ever leaked about anything. Every trade that they made came out of nowhere, and it was like, oh, it's done. You know, it wasn't like, oh, well, we're hearing this, we're hearing that. It was like, oh, this happened, and it's done now. Uh, so that was one thing that was nice and also was a little bit concerning about the way this deadline went is two times, and not just, oh, the Pistons are shopping this player. 
it's we heard the whole trade that was on the table. Well, we got to talk about that as well when it comes to Andre because, A, clearly that affected Andre. He did not play well after that. That I mean, it's it's well known that Andre is is affected by his emotions, and that clearly got to him. You spent a full month basically shitting on him through your agents and the media, you know, just constant press stuff about Andre. And then we get this trade about, you know, the Atlanta thing was the big one. The Atlanta trade was better. You held out for this? For this? Yeah, you were getting a first-round pick with the, like... Well, supposedly, the Atlanta deal was on the table, and, Koo, we have heard that um, basically Tom Gores wanted some time to think about it, and Atlanta got wet feet. Or cold feet, not wet feet, cold feet. Um, in the time that Tom Gores wanted to take to think about it. You know, if you're, so, if you're this eager to get rid of Andre, you can't have cold feet about that. Like, yeah. that's another well, so, really terrible yeah, sign. It's kind that's of a exactly, thing where... That's that's why I wanted to point to exactly what Hal's talking about. Like, along with the fact that there seems to be no directions to... One of the things I keep going back to is that they're obvious, at least in my opinion, seems to be a big disconnection between what the owner wants and what the front office wants. It, it, that obviously seems to be disconnection there. So whether that, like, impact had impacted, like why things have ended up this way i don't know but like i think that's apparent now that there's like obviously a disconnect between those two and oh god yeah well i think that for this front office there needs to be a clear direction and a successful in whatever direction it is for next season um i think that this summer and then however things go early next season that's kind of, to me at least, that's kind of their last chance for me to really make me feel anything positive about where this is going. Because, so, like, let's just say they sign Fred Van Vliet or something this summer, and then they go into next season clearly trying to win and they suck again. I'm going to be totally, I'll have, I'll be, then I'll be totally out on it. Um, or whatever Why it may be. trying to win next year? Because Blake Griffin is here, and... Okay. Why not keep, do you think like, it doesn't make no sense? Okay. Do you think that they would be tr- there? Be talk about them if they sign Fred Van Vliet for twenty plus million dollars a year? Do you think they're going to be trying to tank? I mean, no. That's not. That's what I'm saying. Like, why are we going after Fred Van? If like, if we trade Dre, isn't this direction supposed to be for the young guys? Like, yeah. Why are okay, we going so, after Fred Van? Vliet? And this is one of my main complaints about what I've seen of the front office so far. Is there's a lot of moves that they've made that stink to high heaven of. I'm the smartest guy in the room. That's what it seems like. I think that whether you know you want to put it on Ed Stefanski or someone else, there's a strong sense of they think that they're the smartest guys in the room. They've, like, what, three times now traded up or down for picks in the second round. Um, you know, so something like the Luke Kennard deal that was on the table, um, supposedly, that's that reeks of I'm the smartest guy in the room kind of a deal. Like, because on paper... A, a late lottery pick plus two guys that are worthless is a terrible value for Luke Kennard, right? Like, no way around it. The only way that that would have ended up being a good value is if they're just smarter than them and they're like, no, we just know that Luke Kennard's not going to make it and we're going to draft a really great player with that, right? That's the only way that that ends up being a good trade for the Pistons. On paper, that would have been a terrible trade. And the only reason that it fell apart is because of protection, supposedly. Um, this Andre Drummond trade seems like the same thing. They're like, well, we're going to spend our money on who we want, and we're smarter than that, so we'll make it work, right? 
Um, when the Luke Kennard trade was being talked about, there were several people in the know that said, this pretty clearly illustrates something that a lot of people have suspected in talking with the front office, that they just want every Stan Van Gundy guy gone. Which, how stupid is that? Like, Luke Kennard, the one good thing that Stan Van Gundy left you with, and you want to get rid of him just because, well, we're smarter than that. And, you know, there are some cases. So, like, let's just say, for instance, that the Pistons, instead of Ed Stefanski, they had Jerry West, who's, like, unquestionably the greatest, most successful talent evaluator in the history of basketball, right? Like, there's no question about that. If the Pistons nope. had Jerry West, then I'd be like, okay, trade literally. They could He could show up today and be like, we're going to trade Seiko Dumboya for the 31st pick in next year's draft. And I'll be like, okay. I trust Jerry West. I trust him with this because he actually is the smartest guy in the room, right? Like, we've got evidence of that. But most of the time, when teams get, we're the smartest guys in the room, it doesn't usually work. Like, even really good GMs screw up things. Even guys who make lots of really good moves and are clearly smart, they screw up draft picks, they screw up free agent signings, et cetera, et cetera. So this, I, I'm, it, it's just, it, that's the biggest worry to me is not necessarily any individual move, but more so that when you look at the way that they've operated a lot, it just regularly seems like they just think they're smarter than everyone else. And I guess the only thing that you could say is maybe they end up being right. Like, maybe Seiko is going to be as good as we kind of think he might be. Maybe Bruce Brown is really going to end up being a starting caliber point guard. Maybe Svima Kyluk is going to really continue to develop and become Reggie Bullock. Maybe Kyrie Thomas will find something at the end of this season. Who knows? Um, I, have stop, I have to stop you right there, Joe, because okay. that doesn't matter. Remember, we already talked about this, because so, apparently we wanted to trade Luke because we didn't want to pay him. So, but, so okay, so, so once again. turns out to be good, he's just going to get shipped off. Okay, so, once and, again, maybe they actually do know. Maybe they've looked at Luke, and they're like, you know what? His knees are shot. We see this. No one else is going to see this. So someone else is going to be willing to take Luke, even though his knees are shot. Or maybe they see something in his game that no one else sees, and they're like, nah, he's not worth it. He's not worth keeping. We should get rid of him. You know, maybe they see that, and they haven't they haven't blown anything so colossally yet that I'm willing yes, to totally give up the chance of that. They but, just did. Okay, here's the point, right? So they've set themselves up that they're going to be able to, going into next season, they will have no excuses, Right? Every contract other than um, Blake Griffin that Stan Van Gundy gave them will be gone, right? I think. Luke. Yeah, other than Luke. So Blake Griffin and Luke Kennard. Those are the only Stan Van Gundy guys left on this team. And trying to build a contender around Blake Griffin was literally what they signed up for. That's what they talked about from the moment this crew signed up, showed up, right? So they don't get to complain about Blake Griffin. Because that's what they're like, we came here to try and build a winning team around Blake Griffin. So, going to next year, they have no excuses. So, whatever the direction seems to be, whether that's try and win next year, whether that's we're going to tank. It's like, if they try and tank, and then Seku looks like he's a lot better, Bruce looks like he's a lot better, Svi looks like, you know, all of their guys that are young look a lot better, okay, I'll have some faith. Maybe they really are just smarter. You know, if, who knows, I'm not a huge Fred Van Vliet fan. Maybe they signed Fred Van Vliet. Blake Griffin's healthy next year, and they end up being a great combo, and they're awesome next year. Then I'd be like, well, I guess it worked out. Like, there's a chance that this works out. 
it just I'm just curious what how what pieces like this is maybe a little tangential. How many pieces do you think it takes to make this team better than an eighth seed to sixth seed place where they were last year? I mean, the main thing is Blake Griffin has to be healthy, right? Right. Like, there's no question about that. And that's the reason why, um, and just to be clear about this, and Koo, you were on this boat too, we're both okay with moving on from Andre Drummond, right? Like, the basic idea of trading Andre Drummond, even for not a ton, we're both okay with that. And at its core, the reason I was okay with that is because with this season happening, it's just like, it'd be foolish to continue to build the team hoping that Blake Griffin is going to be healthy. Like, even if he's healthy enough to play, I think that they just have to assume he's not going to be the same guy that he was, like, last season, basically. You know, he's not going to be that all-NBA caliber guy because he needs to be that. When you make as much money as Blake Griffin makes, you have to be an all-NBA caliber guy to be worthwhile. And so that's the first thing. You need to have him be that kind of good, not just pretty good. He can't just be like 20 points and 6 assists per night. He needs to be 26, 6, and 6 on lead efficiency. That's what he needs to be. And he needs to not get hurt. Um, So, I guess other pieces. Uh, So, first off, you have to hope that if you want to win next season, uh, first off, you have to hope for internal development from your young guys. Um, You need to hope Bruce, Svi, Sekou, um... Let's, let's say your wing rotation's pretty set. Okay, so let's just let's just be generous and say that all of the young guys on the roster make at least decent steps forward. So you have Derrick Rose, who I wouldn't want to start him if Blake Griffin's back because they are not a uh, not compatible. That's not a good fit. Um, if Derrick plays like he has this season, they might just be good enough that it can work out, but it wouldn't be ideal. But so. I think in that case, Fred Van Vliet could be a decent option. Fred Van Vliet, I think, would fit really well by Blake Griffin because he can shoot, he defends. Um, His biggest weakness, which is kind of like bullying his way inside and scoring inside and such, that's obviously, that's right in Blake Griffin's wheelhouse. Sure. And that's also in Derrick Rose's wheelhouse. And Fred Van Vliet has shown ad nauseum in Toronto that he can play alongside another point guard as well. Um my big worry would be how much you pay him, because I think Fred Van Vliet is very good. I do not think that he is, like, I don't think he's elite, if that makes sense. So, like, if they got Fred Van Vliet for, I don't know, let's just say, like, 18 If he gets Malcolm Brogdon money, that's a mistake. Yeah, if he got $18 million, I could be okay with that. But, yeah, if he got, like, 24 25 I would not be a fan of that. But let's just say, okay, so let's just be good and say that they get Fred Van Vliet for a decent deal. Then your hypothetical starting line next year would be Fred Van Vliet, Luke Kennard, Tony Snell, Blake Griffin, and you need you you need a center somewhere. Right. Somewhere. You have to have it and that's where I I get hung up. If the if the plan is to build around on or to build around Blake. Okay, here you, you got have me. to have a center. I gotta and who I is gotta the look, I gotta look at the cap numbers here now. Just a sec. I think you'll have like forty million in space if Reggie, Andre, and the rest of the expirings are gone. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's, that's so, so so you you have money. you have real money to pay a okay, center. So you've got forty million dollars. We'll be we'll we'll be generous to ourselves and say that Fred VanVleet only gets eighteen. So you've first got first round pick too. So you've yes yeah, so yeah. you've got a first round pick and that's what like so you have let's say you have twenty million dollars to pay a center. 
So you've got $20 million oh. that you can either pay for a center or you can split it up, pay very minimal for a center, and try and get more money on a wing, which wouldn't be a terrible idea because I like Tony Snell. That would be my... my I'm not uh, sure correct. Tony... Tony Snell starting is okay, but it's not ideal. He's one of those guys that he's good enough that's like, this is okay, but he's also a guy that you would probably prefer to have someone else starting. Snell starting is okay if you have someone like Damian Lillard as your point guard. Yeah. It's not okay when you have Fred Van Vliet as your point guard. Yeah. So My big thing is just I I don't know who the center that saves the team is. Okay. Who are the guys who are free agents for next year? Man, now I've got – now I'm looking at this. Um, So you've got approximately $20 to split between potentially – and you you, want to add – you have to add a center – and you'd like to add a wing as well. And you have to have the point guard, but we're going to assume that's maybe Fred Van Vliet for this yeah. scenario. So because that centers. Works. centers. Hey, Andre Drummond might be a free agent next year. They could <laughs> sign him. He's pretty good. Hey, that'd be great. Then they'd have they'd have two all-stars on the team. Fred Van Vliet could maybe be one. T- um, so options for them. So Aaron like James. it's like a guy, if they wanted to get a little more pricey, someone like maybe Tristan Thompson. Mason Plumsley, um, Kelly Olynyk, Myers Leonard, Aaron Baines, Robin Lopez, uh, Alex Len. I mean, there are some options. You're getting increasingly sadder. Well, yeah, Aaron, obviously. Aaron Baines is the best option that you just listed, and that's horrifying. I don't know if that's true. Kelly Olynyk can play. Tristan can Thompson Kelly can Olenek play. Kelly Olynyk play defense and cover for Blake Griffin? Tristan, no. Tristan Thompson can play a little bit. And it depends on the price for all these guys. Tristan's right? probably the second best option in that in like, that thing. Yeah, obviously, this all depends on what price you're paying for them. Um, but, but so there, my point there is are some they centers. can't build around Blake. Is is my point? Like, they might try, they can't. I I don't I don't believe that there's a a, a way that this team could ever get out of the first round. So what if building around okay. Blake now that they've traded under? Okay. Because he this. covered too many too many holes. Riddle me this, okay? Let's say, hypothetically, hmm, let's say that the Pistons sign, hmm, who would be a good option here? Let's say that this summer they go out and they signed Danilo Gallinari, who's an unrestricted free agent, and then they just play center by whoever. They find some dude, and they just play center as a dude, kind of like... Then you've got a situation not that unlike Boston. You've got a good guard rotation. You've got a, a superstar at power forward. Obviously, Boston doesn't have a superstar at power forward. But, um, and then center's just center by committee, which I don't... Let's, let's, let's I be don't, generous I don't, say they get one of the good defensive yeah, centers. Here, here's one thing that is true, that is a benefit of Blake Griffin, if he's healthy at least, is Blake Griffin is not a small power forward. So no. you can get away with having it's like you know it's like there's a lot of teams like for instance Boston um where they play so small so often that even if it's not a great center you really need to have a beefy guy up there right because you can't you can't afford not to you'll just get killed on the inside you need a big man who can do big man things the one benefit the Pistons have is Blake Griffin can do a lot of those big man things so you could maybe get away with having someone. So you could maybe get away. Not, defensively, it wouldn't be great, but you could maybe get. A, it's like it's a lot easier to get away with having Kelly Olynyk, for instance, as your center if Blake Griffin is your power forward than it is if 
you know, Jason Tatum as your power forward. Um, so yeah, so what if you get what if you spend big on Danilo Gallinari, who's an injury risk, obviously, but a really good player, and then you also get Kelly Olynyk, and you just say we're just gonna have a absolutely insanely good offense, and we're just gonna hope that the defense barely holds together somehow. I'm Fred Van Vliet's a good defender. Um, so let's let's pretend <laughs> that in this year's draft, instead of going point guard, they go with someone. Uh, there's a kid named Onyeka Akongwu out of USC, who's like the next Bam Adebayo kind of guy, like a really good defender, just straight out the gate. Is that enough for you? I'm not worried about what position they draft. I think no matter what, they should absolutely draft best player available. So I'm not. I'm, worried I'm just saying, that. if 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 that's the center by committee, is is they go for some young kid. Who's who's maybe the next good defensive center, and you get the kind of rough defensive center. I'd be okay with it. I mean, ideally. So I don't know because I'm just me, I'm trying desperately to figure out how oh, they can. Here's win one thing, by the way, because you know they're going to try. What about, you know they're not tanking. I what about can't what about Christian Wood? What about Christian Wood? He can come back. He's not a good defender, and he's. I don't think he's going to fit next to Blake. What if, let's just say, hypothetically, because this would not be the first time that this has happened, where, you know, veteran guy who takes up a lot of space, even rightfully so with Andre, we all know I'm the biggest Andre Drummond fan, but he goes, what if Christian Wood really shows us something the rest of the season? Not just he scores a lot of points, but, like, he's already improved within the season as a defender. What if he, like, really shows us something, like, the on-off numbers look pretty good. Like, visibly, not just, you know, the idiots on Twitter who for some reason think Christian Wood is the savior of the franchise, which is, that's still the most bizarre thing. I've been more annoyed by people. I've been more annoyed by Christian Wood fans this season than I have Derrick Rose fans, which is... No, that's not true. It, yeah, it is for me. It that. is for me. Yeah. It is absolutely... I think it's because you, you don't tweet and you yeah. get all the Derrick Rose fans in your mentions. Maybe. <laughs> it's still baffling to me. But regardless, okay, like he really shows us something. How'd you feel about that? I would love if Christian Wood was good. That would solve a lot of problems. I just don't yeah. believe that that's in the realm of possibility. I think it's really I think it's very possible Christian Wood becomes a very high value offensive player. I just think that if he becomes a high value offensive player, it's not going to be like I think Blake playing alongside Blake would reduce yeah. the value of that. And you need the defensive player, so like Christian Wood is an elite sixth man, seventh man. So then, what if you, know, you do big? What it's you the, were it's saying, the guy who plays next to Blake. That's my question. So what if we do kind of what you were saying, where it's kind of you know you just get whether that's a guy you draft plus you know I don't know. Let's just say, let's just say so they draft that guy. You said I don't pay. I I said this before. I don't pay any attention basically to the draft until we get into the summer. There's just too much stuff for me to pay attention to. So let's say they draft that guy who's kind of a you know athletic bruiser type, and they sign, let's just say, like Nerlens Noel or something like that for cheap, um, or you know Nerlens Noel maybe Bismack Biombo, uh, you know just some guy who's also similar vein. Just he's not gonna do a lot. He can dunk. He'll play hard kind of be that type of a player. And yeah, and then you just and then Christian Wood is off the bench. So you can give yourself serious, serious offensive firepower if you want, or you can go more defense. I mean I don't know. I guess I don't think that it would work. Here's the one thing, and I don't think that this is actually true, but there's a lot of smart people that think it is true that there's not a significant drop off when you when it comes to rim running type centers 
that there's not a huge drop-off from the elite guys to just sort of lower-rung guys. I pretty firmly do not think that that is true. I think that if you go from Andre Drummond to a center rotation of... Now, Christian Wood may end up actually being good enough to be a difference maker. But if you went from Andre Drummond to, uh, you know, Christian Wood plus whatever rookie plus Bismack Biombo, I think that the drop-off would be, like, colossal. And you'll see it. And we will see it. I, I really do think that. But... There's enough smart people that think that you can do that, and it's pretty mitig- It's not that big, particularly if you improve on the wing and other places. Um, that I'd at least be interested to see if that could work out. I guess. Yeah, Koo, you've got your hand raised. <laughs> I just wanted to add, since you said that, uh, I didn't, I forgot to say this earlier. It has nothing to do with this. Just to add in. Um, part of the thing with Andre, apparently. Now, I don't know if the front office thought this heavily, but apparently through what James wrote to a lot of teams, and it could be including the Pistons, don't believe that Andre Drummond's place leads to winning. So that could point, I mean, See, Hal okay. talked about earlier. So hold, hold this on, is on, the, hold no. On, hold on, okay, hold on. go ahead, go ahead. Hal just said earlier about how uh, it seems like they were just so anxious to get rid of Andre Drummond. Combine that with James writing what he wrote today and – all the things I've heard since, like, the rumor started. I don't think it's very – I think not only do I think it's not out of the realm of possibility, I think it's probably extremely likely that the Pistons are one of those teams who thought that and thought they, they will, they're they going to be better next year. Now they got rid of Andre and can just get, like a like you're saying, another average center and just fill in. I, I think it's very likely that they are one of the people who believe that because, in, that, like I said, James said today in his art and everything I've been hearing, teams question – how much he actually translates to winning, how much he helps your team. I don't agree with it, but I, I think it's likely that the Pistons are one of those teams that think that. Do we need to have the conversation about Dwayne Casey? Just... Okay, we'll, we'll talk. No, no, we're going to talk about Dwayne Casey later. We, <laughs> we will. Okay, Ku can't. He had a bit of a talk to about that. We'll talk about Dwayne Casey later. Don't worry. Um, but just what's clear. Now, I haven't read what James wrote, so. I don't know if this I'm is not exactly, either. but not this time, just yeah. be clear. There's a difference between Sorry, James. Andre Drummond does not help you win, and we think that the money spent on Andre Drummond is better spent on the wing or on the, or at point guard. True. Right? So, like, I actually think that it's perfectly fair, and this, this has always been true when talking about Andre Drummond, that because the main issue and ended up being a, a critical issue because the other guys got hurt. Okay, Coop, go ahead. I have the I have the quote from his article. Okay. Just to get the actual quote. Uh, one might expect uh, the two-time All-Star because some heavily question whether his play equates to winning. That's the quote. Okay. So, first off, if the Pistons think that, this front office is hopeless. <laughs> because he is o- anything having to do with his winning style has only improved since they got here, right? Since they got here, he's improved his playmaking. He's improved his defense. Like, he's improved as a screen. Like, it's not like he's gotten worse as a player since they arrived. So they knew I, he... I know so if they thought that, why did... About this, if they, if, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I know Coop can't say this, but, like, he's maybe the one success story I'd give Dwayne Casey is that He's actually developed significantly under Casey in a way I didn't expect. I don't think Casey uses him well, but 
I'd also give Bruce Brown that designation, by the way. I can say positive yeah. things about I'll, Dwayne I'll, I'll, I'll give Dwayne, um, Bruce Brown that as well. He's really improved this year um, in ways that are not just... Like, for instance, before he got hurt, Luke Kennard had clearly taken a step forward. But that was sort of... It was very much within, like, a basic linear progression that you would kind of hope a player takes. So that's the kind of thing that I wouldn't necessarily give too much credit to Dwayne for. But... Like Bruce Brown, I give him a. I would give him credit I, for that. Bruce has improved I, in ways that I did not think he would. I I saw this for Bruce. I think I think he's I think he's done very well. Yeah. And maybe yeah. I give Dwayne credit for that. I I think this is the progression I expected for Bruce. I, I think it's it's very impressive for me for Andre to make. I've talked about this before. Uh, SVG tried to do the drop system stuff. It did not work. Dwayne got it to work. Huge yeah. credit to him. I just don't think he's used Andre in other ways. And a big tangent there, but um, yeah, I I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I I do want to give him credit for that one. Yeah. So I have a if, lot of frustrations with a lot of other things. Yeah, if if this front office thought that Andre Drummond is not a winning player, then they should have traded him long before this, right? Just so we're clear about this, okay? And this is not a. This is another thing that's not like my personal opinion. We all know what I think of Andre Drummond, okay? But if you're the front office and you believe not just oh it'd be better spent other places, you believe Andre Drummond does not help you win basketball games, right? You you believe that Ed Davis is as impactful in winning <laughs> basketball games as Andre Drummond is, okay? Which once again I think is an absolute ludicrous idea. But if you think that and you still kept him through this much time, then that's your fault. You are incompetent. So I certainly hope that that is not what they think. Because if it is, that is a very bad sign. If they think that lowly of him and they didn't just immediately trade him when they showed up. Because if they think that, they should have traded him when he showed up. Because he didn't get worse since they got here. Um, but just to get back to the main point is that like, I've always thought that that's the most fair thing to say about Andre is that spending that money on a really good wing player or a really good point guard would be, that might make you better. Like, that money may be better spent elsewhere, most notably because, and this ended up being a fatal flaw for him, is for everything Andre Drummond does, he just, he cannot be the guy in an offense, right? He cannot be the guy you just give the ball and go and get points. And while it's not totally his fault, but when you think about most teams' hypothetical big threes or big twos, the way that it usually works out is they're both at least somewhat able to do that. And then if one of them gets hurt, or if two of them even get hurt, that last guy can be like, I'm going to keep this offense afloat because I can just go get us buckets. Andre can't do that. So then the end result is because you've got so much money in Andre, the end result is, of course, that when Reggie Jackson gets hurt, you no longer have enough shot creation because your highest paid player is not a shot creator necessarily, or at least a high level shot creator in terms of with the ball in his hands. And so, and that really is, is what's killed the Pistons, you know, in what, three of the last four years? If we count last year as not, although it ended up happening in the playoffs, where, but you know, this season, Blake Griffin gets hurt, Reggie Jackson gets hurt. Okay, your offense no longer has viability because you just don't have enough ball handling and shot creation on the floor. If Andre Drummond was, instead of Andre Drummond, like Bradley Beal, that doesn't happen, right? Those other guys get hurt, and Bradley Beal can be like, well, I'm just going to carry the offense while you guys are out, and we'll be able to stay afloat higher. But 
So that's a that's an argument that's not an unfair argument to make. Um, so I hope that that's what they're thinking and not that Andre Drummond doesn't help you win games. Because first off, I think that's really stupid. But even beyond that, if they think Andre Drummond doesn't help them, you win basketball games, then they should have moved him a lot sooner than this, quite frankly. So there's another thing to be talked about here, which is Andre hasn't looked good for the, you know of late. This has not been his strongest stretch of his career. And again, we talked about at the very beginning, there really wasn't a reason to make this trade right now. And Reggie Jackson just came back. And wow, Andre looks a lot better next to Reggie Jackson. Why would you not wait, try something in the summer if he decides to opt in after he resurrects his season a little bit next to Reggie Jackson? Or this, like You traded him at the worst time, in part because, again all the chatter around this trade tanked his value. And I should say all the chatter on the trade tanked his emotional stability a little bit and his play and his value. Therefore, like this was not good timing purely from that aspect. And again, you weren't pressured into making the decision and it looked, you know, like Andre just dropped 30 on the Suns, and that's the Suns, but that was the best game he's played in a long time, in part because Reggie Jackson is back healthy, looks good. That matters to me, and I don't really get why you would do this now. I mean, so there is only one reason why you do this now. And once again, to me, it just kind of stinks of we're the smartest guys in the room, which is that if he opts in, so hypothetically if he opts in, you can trade him before contracts kick him for next season. Which, that's what I'm thinking, which is, if he opts in, try and trade him in that time, because you won't get less than this. But the worry would basically be, he opts in, his value goes up only maybe minimally, so like, instead of a really crappy second round pick, maybe you get a higher second round pick, or maybe you get a late first round pick. But then you also have that salary filler, and then you have to take on crappy salary filler for next season. Which, so, which... If you're hoping to sign Fred Van Vliet and not be awful next season, which this trade seems to suggest that they do not want to be awful next season, because that's the only that's the only benefit that you get out of this is you don't have to worry about trying to trade Andre in that small window of time between when you would know he's opting in and um, and before the contracts kick in, so that you're taking on salary them for next season. Now, even within that. Typically, you can find salary that's either non-guaranteed or whatever else you can do, and you can pre- preserve at least most of your cap space. Well, the most only reason the he wasn't traded for salary, traded as salary filler this year, is that weird option confusion. Next year, he is the expiring. Yeah. Next year, you trade him for the I don't I don't know the contract off the top of my head, the Batum contract or something that has a an extra year. And you get the value of taking on the bad contract. So, so they, they that was what you didn't have this year. You yeah. have more value next year because he is a true expiring. So the only reason, and once again, I think that this is a really dumb thought process. But they don't want any bad salary for next year. That's the thought process. I think that they think that with this money this summer, without having to worry about any other shenanigans, we want to give ourselves. I think basically this front office is convinced that if they get one shot, they're going to be able to build a winning team for next year. That's what I think they think. And I think that's pretty foolish. Um, And 
the fact that they the fact that they nearly trade Luke Kennard too only further emphasizes this that clearly they think that if they make all the decisions this is going to work out fine um so it's just I don't know man it that's the only reason that's the only positive you get out of this is you don't have to try and finagle if he opts in you don't have to try and finagle your way to finding a trade in kind of a goofy time that trades don't usually happen and you don't have to try and figure out a way to take on money that's not going to be a bad contract next year. Um, so, But the reason why it's still stupid is why not? That's not a huge risk, right? Like, no. I mean, so first off, now teams will, there's less teams with cap space because the Hawks and Grizzlies used most of theirs at the deadline. But first off, if you really are that worried about cap space, there will be teams with cap space that you can't that they would be able to effectively just absorb Andre if you really had to, right? Like if you really push game to shove. So it's basically they now the potential for them to have to I guess it's almost lazy because the potential for them to have to work hard to find a creative deal they don't. They just don't have to worry about that anymore. And they sacrificed any shot at getting any value for your best player in order to do that. Which right. It's frustrating, but just I'm I'm trying to play devil's advocate at least a little bit. Which is that's the only benefit that you get from trading him now is you don't have to worry about any kind of shenanigans where you end up with a bad contract next year. You get to essentially ensure that you're getting all of the cap space. So like even if you get a deal where you get some non-guaranteed money back or whatever, you probably will have to pay someone at least some of the money for next year if you were to trade him this summer after that kind of goofy time, which would be it'd be hard to find someone who would take him in that goofy time. But yeah, I don't know why you don't just say that's worth this give it a shot, you know, to get actual value for him. Um, and then also, I don't think that they should be trying to make moves to maximize their cap space. Because first off, Blake Griffin's probably not going to be healthy. Second off, you're Detroit. So why do you think you're going to build a team through free agency? Third off, you tried to trade your best young prospect. So it just, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I'm actually of the opinion at this point they should be looking to trade Blake and when I say trade, like I mean that includes paying a little bit to move Blake. If you're gonna do this, just clear the slate entirely. Ah, uh, uh, no. Because I, I think I think there are teams, someone like who will be desperate enough to be like, yeah, we'll take Blake for a poo-poo platter of seconds and things like that. I wouldn't want to do that. I, I think if Blake comes back healthy next year, there is a potential to move him without actually having to give up like multiple first That's rounds, etc. Yeah. So. I think basically, here's the reason why I wouldn't do that. Because if Blake were to come back and he's healthy, I think there's a good chance you could... Because remember, he's only got two more years on his contract. So, like, if Blake were to come back next year and actually be healthy, first off, I like to watch Blake Griffin play basketball. I do. I would prefer him to be on the team than not. But, so, if he comes back and he's actually healthy, whether it's next year or at the end of next year, his contract is suddenly short enough that... I, I don't think you'll get, like, any real value for him, but you probably could get away with not having to give up other stuff. And the main reason why you would have to pay someone else to take him would be if he's hurt. And if he's hurt, you're going to suck. And then you get a high draft pick, like this year. So I just, I would, 
The only reason that I would want to pay to get rid of him would be if he made a big stink somehow. You know, when, when I say pay, I do not mean like giving up. You know, multiple first round picks. It's like I mean, well, they already you have a send a couple of seconds, and you're like, already, hey, give us your bad salary and Jalen Q from the the Blazers. They and, already they already have. They've already given away a lot of second round picks. They still have, I think, three or four for the next couple of years. Like they don't have, they don't have. A I think they're missing two of seconds, but they have a couple. So I just, and like I said earlier, you can just buy more. Yeah, <laughs> I think. I just picks, think with Blake, because his value is so incredibly dependent on his health. I think. I just don't think that there's a need. Either he's healthy, and then you can. There's a good chance you can get off of him without having to give up things. Like, look, if the price for getting off Blake Griffin was a single second round pick, like let's just say the second round pick they just got for Andre Drummond, which is basically nothing, I'd think about that. I guess, but I wouldn't want to give up anything real, just because if he's healthy, there's a good chance you can get off of him without having to give up things. I mean, if and, if, you, if I told you that you could get. You could move him and maybe like Markeith Morris's contract and you know a couple of things and like a contender says sure we'll take that basically for our second rounder that we are kind of you know for like a Svee and a couple of things and salary filler etc. Like I would be willing to do it just clear the house finally because what I really don't want to do is watch Blake Griffin watch all the kids play next year super frustrated because nobody's playing defense etc. Like, that's just really, really There would be a poetic justice depressing. to Blake Griffin being frustrated no one else is playing defense. <laughs> Making him that's... watch someone else do closeouts as bad as his closeouts, there would be a certain poetic justice there, admittedly. Not yet. Me and Joe have talked about this before. That at least I know I've... I know Joe, we've talked about it, but... Like, if Blake were to come back next year, like, completely healthy and back to where he was last year and now we don't have Andre, that would be, like, the worst. That would be, like, the most, like, stink face moment of all time. I mean, not necessarily just because... So, what I said, the worst-case scenario to me with the direction of the franchise would be if you had blown it up totally here at the deadline slash this summer, like, traded away every single guy. Like, there's no one else other than Blake because you're stuck with Blake for now, at least until he proves he's healthy. You know, there's no one other than Blake who's over 24 on the entire roster. That kind of blow it up. Um, if they did that and then Blake came back next season and it was like, oh, Blake Griffin is, like, playing at MVP level again. Because, you know, when you're trying to build a contender, getting a guy who is able to do what Blake Griffin was through the first 60 games of last season that's the hardest part to building a contender that's the thing that you really don't want to waste so to me that would have been the worst case scenario but since they traded Andre once again let's just say that they use that even if it's not Fred Van Vliet just whatever they use that cap space on worthwhile stuff um and so that when Blake comes back they're able to have some success then that wouldn't be the worst case scenario um yeah I don't know if that's I don't know. I think I think watching Blake become the new Kevin Love Cavs would be incredibly dis- disappointing, and I don't really want to watch it. I don't think that he would get Blake's better. Blake's yeah. better than Kevin Love. Well, sure, but it's the scenario we're talking about of a guy who's like Bruce. Why didn't you see me 
you know, in the post there, think, it's because Bruce I, is a young point guard who doesn't know better yet, and it's just stressful, and I don't well, want it. Well, Derrick Rose will be here like, next year, and he's a great passer. <laughs> he's great at sharing the ball. He doesn't dominate the don't. ball at all. I don't think Blake would be like that. I, I, I also think that Blake would have come back healthy next year. He changes this team more than, like, a Kevin Love would, so I don't think the team would be actually yeah. that bad. Yeah, I think I that's think actually... I think so. Like part of the reason why Kevin Love is inevitably so incredibly frustrated with this Cavs team, I'm obviously part of it is they suck, and so if the Pistons suck, <laughs> really suck, and I'm so Blake sorry, Griffin, I'm, I'm yeah, so sorry, yeah, Blake Griffin. <laughs> you know what would actually be really funny? What would be really funny? What if the Cavs actually end up being really good the rest of the year? Because it's like, oh, like what if Kevin Love is like, oh, we have Andre Drummond now, and Kevin Love gets reengaged, and it's like, oh, we have Kevin Love and Andre Drummond. Who are a great fit. So even though all of our guards suck at passing, they have one of the best pick and pop bigs and one of the best pick and roll bigs on the floor. And John Beeline's not a blithering idiot, so he runs horns endlessly or something. Okay. I, he won't I'll run horns. This. That's not really in his wheelhouse. But Their guards suck, but I bet he gets more lobs from them in the yeah. last like, 35 well, and games. It's, it's not just that their guards suck. It's that their guards don't ever pass. So Colin Sexton may not know how to pass within an offense, but he knows how to make a splashy alley. And you know what? Colin Sexton really likes to drive to the hoop, and there's about to be some pretty open lanes. <laughs> there's going to be so, so many offensive. Yeah, yeah, that's true, true. But so that would just be funny if like the Cavs ended up being really good down the stretch. Okay, just a sec. This is a total. So I mentioned the potential of John Henson and Thon Maker playing together. I actually looked it up. Okay. So this oh, isn't no, from no. last year, from the year before that. When Thonmaker and John Henson shared the floor. Now, not a huge minute total. Um, a decent minute total, though. So, first off, their net rating is terrible. Minus 77 per 100 possessions. <laughs> but it's small enough minutes that that kind of happens. But what do you think the rebounding percentage for the... Four. 36... Better than four. That is, that is something. Thirty-six. What is the worst rebounding percentage in the NBA this season? I'm gonna look this up. Joe the, can't go two podcasts without this. The worst. The worst. I said nice things about Thon. I tweeted nice things about Thon. Thon Maker has played very well recently because he's not tried to be something he's not, which has been very, very refreshing. Okay. The worst rebounding team in the NBA this year is the Washington Wizards. And they rebound 48.1, literally 10 points worse than the worst rebounding team. Look, because the one of the keys with Thon Maker is you have to play him with someone who can rebound, right? Like, and Koo, we talked about this already last year. Let's just, there's someone, Big Dog, I love you. He's been one of my, he's followed me. He was like my fifth or sixth follower on Twitter. I don't know why, because he seems to think I'm an idiot, but... <laughs> He was saying that Thumb Maker was... Uh, and he interacts all the time, so whatever. He's a good dude, clearly. But so, he was saying how Thumb Maker... Oh, this is a sign, because he has played better recently. Like, he's he's got a true shooting percentage, like 60% this season or something like that. Like, he's been legitimately okay for the last, like, since December. But he was trying to... This guy on Twitter, he's trying to say, oh, this is... Dwayne Casey's put him in the right position to succeed. This is Dwayne Casey. It's like, okay, dude. When Thon Maker showed up, literally the, before he played a game, I was in Florida on vacation. Me and Koo Cahill recorded a podcast. And I said, 
One of the keys is they should absolutely make sure he is never on the floor if Andre or Blake is not on the floor because you have to have a good rebounder next to him. Because Thon can do a few things. There's one thing, even on his best day, that guy cannot rebound to save his life, right? Like, that's an absolute fact. It was apparent last year, and then early this season, they kept playing him with Markeith Morris. And it was like, oh, this is a disaster. Who could have thought this? And it's just another thing where it's like, okay, if me, a random asshole on the internet, can see this so blatantly, I'm not going to give Dwayne Casey credit for figuring that out after a year. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, that doesn't, you don't get credit for coming to the obvious conclusion after a year. Because I have yeah. no comment. But yeah, just just a funny thing. <laughs> Literally rebounded thirty six percent of misses when they were on the floor. So I can no I, I can yeah. I cannot say I agree nor just yeah. what Joe just said. <laughs> that could be that could be that could be an exciting combo. Um but but yeah, anyways, just I think um where even were we before I said that? I don't even remember what we were saying. Cool, do you remember we're just what we were on saying? rants right now? What, what were we ranting about? I don't know. I just, we've been around for about who's, been, who's been on Twitter? Or yeah, who's been on Twitter? No, I was looking at the free agents that, that are right now. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. okay, so like... Oh, we were talking about Blake. Okay, so one of the reasons why... Because I was... Yeah, right. Because I was... Yeah. So one of the th- reasons why Kevin Love on this Cavs team is different from what I think Blake Griffin would be. So not only is it that... I think that the Cavs right now suck more than a hypothetical Pistons team would next season, um, which is part of it. But even within the suckage is that... So Kevin Love is not a guy who you're necessarily just going to constantly give the ball and go score. Um, he like he, he needs someone to set him up a bit, right? So the fact that I... A little bit like... Which, once again, it's ironic that this is where Andre ended up because it's like Andre Drummond. If he's going to really be successful on offense, he kind of needs other guys to put... A, you got to... Being loud as hell, and um, you know he needs to be kind of put into his positions, and those guys can't help. But then even worse is that Kevin Love's like natural like default setting is this like hyper unselfish player who just wants all the ball movement, just wants passing all the time, just pinging it around, and then he gets stuck on a team where every other player on the team is a terrible passer. And I think that that just is extra. It's just like, not only does the team suck, but they're they're built in such a way that it doesn't help him in the ways that he likes, that he needs to be helped. And his, like, natural basketball ethos is totally gone. Like, the, the way that the team plays is just so wildly different from how he wants to play. Like, even outside of his own selfishness, like, I need this for this to work for me. Like, just gone, you know? So, I, I, I do think that that would be different. But... If Blake Griffin, for whatever reason, did start to make a big stink and, like, I want to get out of here really badly to where he became a distraction, then I'd consider giving up stuff to get rid of him. But unless that happens, and honestly, if he does that, you know what I'd say? I'll gently remind Blake Griffin that he has a player option after next season. And if he wants (laughs) out that badly, be my guest. That's the door. Go ahead, walk out. And sign somewhere else. That's what I would tell him. So just I would, I would be very hesitant to move him, to what to give up assets when moving him. I guess. So that was really a long way to get to making that point. But hey, we got there eventually. It's it's not the destination. It's the it's the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
But we were already friends. Didn't yeah. make any new friends. Now we're even closer friends. Cool, you look like you're ready to say something. No, I don't have nothing else to say. Okay. Hal, do you have anything else you want to say about this debacle of a trade deadline? Just, you know, you guys know I'm the draft guy, and we didn't get any draft decks, so... Yeah. Oh, yes. What, what am I supposed to do now? Oh, I was, like, I was all waiting okay. for, like, the... Oh, well... Number seven, and this is the dude we take at 13, and yeah. now we're all... Ha- no, I ain't get that. Yeah. I'm sad. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. We're not going to ask him... We're not going to ask him draft prospect questions right now. We'll Please have a whole we'll have a whole separate podcast for that, okay? No, it's not a draft prospect. Okay, because we're already at an hour and twenty minutes, and there's one le- there's at least one thing I want to hit before we finish. So, okay, go I ahead. Go all night, baby. I just want to ask how a simple yes or no question. It is okay now. Okay, I'm just asking. Uh, how is this draft class as weak? Say it doesn't have the Zion level prospect, but it has a whole lot of the people you would normally take. Like five to twenty-five, like that—that that range of like B tier to C tier guys is way deeper than people expect, and it doesn't fall off nearly as fast as people expect. But there isn't that one surefire Ben Simmons, Zion Williamson guy. So um, there's actually been a lot of guys who have said like, my draft board is like 130 people long because I don't know who the hell. You know, like the second round especially is just a clusterfuck of interesting but chaotic people. So it's a fun one to scout, and I wouldn't necessarily want to be the guy making the decisions at number one pick because I think there's going to be a couple of mistakes made in the top five. So here's what you're saying to me. Here's why I just heard. Tell me if you disagree with this. If there was ever a draft for them to say, screw it, we're going to trade everything for as many second-round picks as we possibly can, this was the draft to do it. Yeah, to be honest with you, this is the draft where you want to win pick and then trade it for, like, three future picks. This is the draft to do that. To be the, the people who are like, hey, you really love Anthony Edwards? We'll give you, you know, we won the lottery and we'll give you the number one, number two pick and we'll just take your future picks for the next three years this is that draft you want to do it in because I don't, my favorite guy is a guy who's often mocked like number five. So, well, here's, here's the issue. And this is what I talked about earlier. I think that the Pistons are the team that they will be the one to pick out a guy and be committed to. I think the Pistons will be the ones that will try and be like, Oh no, we know this, this is the guy. I'd be a lot more worried about that than that. They'll be the one to be like, Oh yeah, sure. Go after him. We'll take three of your draft picks. Look, I really like the dude they picked. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, on the tip of the tongues, uh, Davida Servitas. Oh. The second rounder they picked last the year, for, and they traded tour. like multiple picks for him. The guy like, I really was... like that dude. He's really fun. He's really interesting. He's, He's... also not worth trading like three picks for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a weird thing to do. He's also I, the I... guy that got me and Ku accused of being racist. <laughs> what did I miss? Right, Excuse right me? after the po- right after the draft, we have Rod on, and we were talking about the draft, and we were able to say Savitas's name perfectly. We were struggling with Sekou's with Dumboya because Rod had literally tweeted out um, like the pronunciation for Savitas. So we talked right, about the main pronunciation before. is Dumboya, yeah. yeah. But I hadn't I hadn't seen that for Dumboya, so we were we were struggling with it because it was literally the day after the draft. 
So we we had one of their names on, not the other. And some guy tweeted at Rod, and he was like, I was a little uncomfortable by the fact that they were able to pronounce the white guy's name well, but not the, not, not the African. And Koo is just, like, just like, bro. <laughs> also, if we're being honest, Servetus is a way more wild name than Dumboya at the end of it all. Like, at this point, I'm way more comfortable spelling Dumboya than I am Servetus. Oh, yes. But, okay, so before we finish, so here's the thing that I want to finish with. Okay. Kuyu, if you want to just say nothing, you are allowed to say that. But with Andre Drummond gone, so we don't really know what pretty much any of this Pistons team looks like without Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond has been the one constant for, you know, seven years. He's always there. He's always played huge minutes, and he never gets hurt. So, going down the stretch, what is the one thing that you're most interested to see that you think could be a good thing that happens as a result of Andre Drummond not being there? So, Koo, you can start. If you want to say, I'm not going to watch him, I give up, that's okay. You can say that. That is an acceptable answer. I've really got nothing. (laughs) Like, like we said on the last podcast, Joe, if that, the veterans were gone, then we said our little three wishes. One of mine was obviously Bruce at point guard more. Trading Andre doesn't do any of the things I said, so yeah. it's like I don't know yeah. what to look for. Yeah, I want to see Bruce at point guard, so we trade him for yet another guy who's going to have the ball in his yeah. hands instead of Bruce. <laughs> Genius. If anything, my wishes have been crapped on. That's all that was. <laughs> okay. Hal, do you have even a single thing that you're at least a little bit intrigued by with Andre Drummond gone. Well, so you'd say Andre leaves. Is there somebody who steps into the center rotation? But we're already getting a lot of Christian Wood, so I don't really... It's not like this is going to be the Wood renaissance that everyone would love. I'm not excited about John Henson. Uh, I was kind of looking forward to the Reggie Jackson experience, but I'm not sure this changes Reggie Jackson moving forward. I'm not really sure. This doesn't open up a lot more minutes for Seku, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I guess. I guess now the big highlight is what does the young players do? But uh, Ku has Ku has got the finger raised here. I just want to point out since Hal brought it up. I just want to point out everyone was screaming at us on Twitter. All these, uh, you know, you know. I'm gonna go ahead and just say it. James was saying to me. James was saying to everybody on Twitter, oh, you guys can wait. Just in a week from now, there's going to be plenty of minutes opened up for all the young James, that didn't happen. <laughs> What's what going on, man? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be seeing any more Seiku zombies. What's going on? In fact, if anything, you'll see less Seiku because John Henson can play power forward. He's, li- he's like Christian Wood. He can play center and power forward. So if anything, this will actually mean less minutes for Seiku. Look, if we see any John Henson minutes of... I'm just that, as soon as that happens, I'm turning off that game. Yeah. Well, so just, you brought it up. This isn't my thing. I, I I've got a couple things I can say, but um, just because you brought it up, that is like one of the last things. That's the biggest irony about having the only guy you trade be Andre Drummond is that of all the veterans on this team, the one guy who is not limiting your young guys at all was Andre Drummond, right? Like. Over the past, since like the middle of December, Christian Wood is playing like 23 minutes a game. Like, he's playing a ton anyways. Like, 
and that's the only young guy that is potentially going to benefit by Andre being gone. Like, if you had traded either of your point guards, more time for Bruce at point guard, or you get to take a shot at, uh, you get to see Jordan Bone do some stuff. You trade Markeith Morris, Sekou's getting all the power forward minutes. You managed to move, I this wasn't likely, but you managed to move Tony Snell, Sekou at small forward. You get to try that out, see how that looks. You move Langston okay. Galloway, all, more minutes for, or Svee can play small forward too. So Lewis King, just like you said. You move Gallo, more time for Luke when he comes back. More time for Svee at the shooting guard. More time for Bruce to play shooting guard. Like literally any other of the veterans you move, and it opens up more minutes for the young guys. And not only did they move the one guy who is not blocking any of the young guys at all, they in fact got a guy in Brandon Knight who's potentially going to take away from young guys more. Which, there is something ironic about that. Um, So, I guess in things that I'm interested to see, uh, one of the main things, I guess, is the sort of basic, um, seemingly very important central player leaves, and it's such a significant shakeup that it just kind of gives a certain energy and life to the rest of the team. Um, Which, regardless of how good a guy is when you move them, that sometimes happens. Like, even even legitimately good players, sometimes if they get moved, that can happen. Um, so I'd be interested to see if, you know, if there can just kind of be a general umph that's added in because people are, you know, just the simple fact of people realize, oh, Andre Andre's not back there to just get literally every rebound and cover my ass constantly on defense. I have to actually give a crap. Maybe that happens. Um the biggest thing has to be Christian Wood. Uh, like you said, Hal, uh, and I said just now, he was already playing a lot, but there's a difference between being the guy who plays regularly and potentially heavy minutes off the bench and being the guy who's starting and has to play 30-some minutes a night. Right? Do you think he starts? I think so. Okay. Okay, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Are we sure? Are we really sure? Let's be clear about something here. If John Henson or Thon Maker is starting at center, or I won't say starting even just because I'm a firm believer in it doesn't freaking matter who starts and who comes off the bench. It's about the total. If Christian Wood is not the heaviest minutes of the Pistons' big men, unless it's Seku, if we want to count him as a full-time power forward, I riot. Like, outright. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying it is an extremely dwindling move. It would be. Like, be. You know it what? John be. Henson is my dude. Move forward and give, no. like... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Christian, Christian Wood is, like, the center for, like, the last, like, eight games of the season. He gets the starting spot. That's a very Dwayne Casey move to me. That would be. So, I can't say th- I agree th- or, nor disagree. I think Thon Maker is the odds-on favorite to start games. That's what I was going to yeah. say. So, just in general, I'm interested to see... Because even if they do that, you have to imagine Christian Wood is going to be asked to do a lot more now. I would, I would imagine. Not I would imagine that, Wood is still playing a 30-minute. Yeah, not only well, that, but not just to increase minutes, but he won't be playing with Andre in any of those minutes. So now he has to be, and when he's not playing with Andre, he's playing with either Thon or Markeith Morris or John Henson, who, guess what? None of those guys are good at doing big man stuff, right? Like, and John Henson is so freakishly tall that he's not a total disaster as a rebounder and such, but he's he's <laughs> he's thin. So he really he's not strong inside. 
So now Christian Wood has to do all of that when he's on the floor. And I'm interested to see how he responds to it because he has definitely improved within this season at doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And so I'm interested. I think that there's a chance he could show us something. Like I said earlier, I don't. He's, got, he's been a lot better as the second big this season. Yeah, so I'm interested. He's not been to good see... as a center, but he's been a lot better as the power forward and, center hybrid. Yeah, him with Andre good. was like destroying things. Yeah. So I'm interested to see how he does now, as not just playing more minutes and being in a more featured role, I suppose, but he now he is the big guy. He's got to do these things. So I'm interested to see how he responds because how this goes will impact significantly uh, the potential of what his potential fit is long-term. Because if he really struggles in this role, then that pretty clearly puts a cap on him as a decent off-the-bench big who can score some, but you really can't ask to do more. So this is his shot to prove that he's worth more than just what he's been this season, which is, you know, a decent, solid, off-the-bench big, but not more than that. This is his chance to prove that. So I'm interested with that. Um, another thing, this year, this would not necessarily be the most fair example of it, but kind of like I talked about earlier, I don't think this is the case, but a lot of smart people are pretty convinced it is. I would be interested to see if there's not a significant drop-off in the overall quality of play of the team. If you can go from, because even though the Pistons did not add much better wing and guard play with guys who are getting healthy between Reggie Jackson now being healthy, Derek Rose being healthy, and Luke Kennard coming back before too long. And I still kind of think Brandon Knight can play. But, you know, it, you could in effect sort of draw a certain parallel there of you've decreased significantly at center, but you've increased your guard play. So I will be interested as this as a sort of semi-test run of seeing if that ends up being true. I don't think it will be, but... Smart enough. Smart people think that that's the case, and I'm willing to at least see how that goes. Um, Joe Sinke, Ewing theory scientist. No, it's not even a Ewing theory thing. It's just as simple as people. There's a lot of people who are really convinced that you are way better off putting all of your real money and all of your real talent on the wing and at guard, and just put a guy who can jump high, dunk, and play hard on defense at center. Like, there's a lot of people who think that's what it should be. And just because of guys coming back from the fact that all of the Pistons guards have been hurt all year and they're just starting to get healthy, and now you go from Andre at center to Christian Wood slash Fonmaker slash John Henson, I think that there's a – that big rotation is potentially so awful that it's not a fair representation, but you can at least make some investigation there. Because, look, if there's no noticeable drop-off, or more so, if they really do look better – and it's not as simple as someone just starts playing a lot better. Like, let's just say Luke Kennard comes back and Luke Kennard is scoring like 23 points a game and it's just incredible. That would obviously be different. But unless someone, if no one like has a huge increase in production just from they're just playing a lot better and the team is noticeably better, that would lend some real credence to that idea. Um, I, I don't I guess think there's a, an answer for me then in your question of yeah, is, this a, is this a. Can Dwayne Casey prove to me that he's got something else schematically yeah, up his sleeve? I'm not even. I'm not even hoping for that. There's no shot. Dwayne is, Casey is, is there, what is there any wrinkle? You know, is what we've seen lately a he didn't know how he wanted to use Andre issue or not? Because that's if the if a team improves when a guy leaves, 
it's because a coach stepped up and made a change. That's what happens. It's because someone, you know, a coach, for example, Stan Van Gundy says, uh, who do you lose at power forward with the magic? I forget, I forget the guy's name. But it was, oh, Stan Van Gundy invented the four-out offense because yeah. he, he had an injury. That's when you have these, you know, these surges from a team. Otherwise, it's a surge that lasts two or three games and then it goes away. You know, the dead cat bounce yeah. thing. Um, and so is, is does he have something where he's like, wow, you know what? It turns out I found this Christian Wood Thon Maker lineup that just crushes it. And I guess that's the big thing to look for. Because if something fun is going to happen next year, it's going to be because we found something interesting at the end of this year. Yeah. Um, and kind of connected to the last thing I said is, once again, it'll be a little skewed because the Pistons' ball handlers are all starting to get healthy now. But I am pretty... F- I think that people do not realize the impact that Andre Drummond's screening had on the offense and the fact that other than Derrick Rose, there is no one on the roster who can get into the paint without a screen consistently. And I'm... I'm curious to see if my hypothesis is correct and that without Andre Drummond setting screens, their offense is going to be like a hot mess even more than it already was. Um, and that's kind of connected with the last one. And then the last thing that I'm most interested to see, which is a purely personal thing, I have continued to believe that I think Brandon Knight can kind of play still. So I'll be interested to see, first off, if they let him play at all in the first place. He's healthy. He was only just starting to get occasional minutes in Cleveland. Um, I'll be interested to see if he can play at all, just because purely... And it's not even connected to that, oh, he used to play for the Pistons. I just... He's a guy that I think could still play a little bit, and I'll be interested to see if he can maybe prove... I hope he proves me right, because I like to be right about things. That's really what it is. Um, but For the sake of my enjoyment, I hope you're right as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then I guess here's the last question for both of you. We can finish up on this unless either of you have anything else to say. What would you prefer the way this rest of the season to go? This to be a first option? This is a total disaster, and they lose a ton of games, and they so they get a you know top whatever pick. I don't know if it's realistic for them to get into the top three at this point because the record isn't quite that terrible, but whatever it is. you know, Would you prefer them to lose just this be a total disaster and be awful or would you prefer there to be you know whatever it is something kind of clicks and they show some stuff where it's like oh we can go into next year with kind of a good feeling from that what would be your preference Koo, you first Koo's probably not hardly even paying attention anymore (laughs) repeat it oh my gosh so you've got two options i want you to pick from okay for what you prefer to see happen the rest of the season Option one, Andre really was the pillar that was keeping this team from the absolute abyss. Without With him gone now, it's a total and absolute disaster. They lose almost all the rest of their games, and they get as high draft pick as you can. Option two, they actually show you some things. Maybe Christian Wood shows us something. The guards play really well. There's, you know, whatever the reason may be, things click a little bit, and they're not a total disaster the rest of the season and then we go into the summer like we may have found some things here like we you know will be your preference basically all the way in for the tank or would you hope maybe they actually win some games by the way the actually winning some games would include this doesn't mean we just play all the young guys and they play well enough to win games 
because that that obviously obviously everyone will be okay with that. Like the veterans are still playing some. It just shows us that maybe actually this team can win and be okay without Andre. That's really what it comes down to. Does the second option include the young players playing better? And they would have to play well, obviously. But it's not no, Seku, Svi, well. I mean, and like Bruce. Still, uh, nope. Like they have so far. Because all the young players have mostly played well this season, right? So, so not an improvement on where they are. Have, they play the same way that they have okay, been. Okay, no, the first option. Okay. You'd rather just go for the high draft pick. Yeah. Okay. Hal? So I'm always the draft guy. Um, just for the record, Tankathon says we're six and a half games out of first pick. Okay, so really, so, pr- not and we're tied likely. with like four other teams for six so, and a half games. So really, between the flattened lottery odds and um, uh, just the fact that we're going to suck, <laughs> we have we're currently listed as a twenty three percent chance of having a top four pick. That could get as high as a forty percent chance of having a top four okay. pick. So not great, but certainly within the realm of possibilities. So. That's there. I think my ideal is a mix in which we lose a lot of games, but during that we show some structure and some functionality that says, hey, certain players can play together. Like, I would like to lose all of the games, but learn that Luke and Seku have really great chemistry together or something funky. That's my ideal. Okay. I want to lose the rest of the games. I hope they don't win again the rest of the season. <laughs> also, um, also losing would mean that I fight an Andre Gordon, and I'm ready for that. I told you so because I already yeah. know that's the case. Yeah, there's a. I, it wouldn't even so much be for the I told you so, um, because anyone who thinks that Andre Drummond did not make this team better, even if they don't get that much worse for the reasons I said earlier, their ball handlers are actually healthy now. Anyone who thinks that Andre Drummond does not help you in basketball games is an imbecile. There's no way around that. <laughs> like, there, truthfully, you are an imbecile if you think that. I'm just um, saying, put this on the list for some other podcast. We've got to have a screening, like, PhD talk about why slipping screens doesn't mean you're a shitty screener. Yeah. And also... That, that has to happen. He doesn't slip screens all the time. Like, he lays the wood on people pretty regularly. Yeah, and he's that, also... A, you know what he's a master piece. of? He's a master of the guys duck under screens. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to just start my roll to the basket here. And, oh, I got in your way. Oh, no. The Draymond Green. Yeah. It's not a moving screen. I'm just very slowly starting my roll to the basket. I love when he – he does a lot of that crap. And he, that's one of the things that always was frustrating to me is people talked about him. You'd think he was Carl Anthony Towns. When in reality, Andre Drummond does all of the tough, like, you, you – that's things that just make guys like Carlton Towns be like, this this motherfucker. I hate playing <laughs> against this guy. He throws pointy elbows. He's always moving on his screens. He always he always sticks his butt out a little extra to get a little bit of, you know. He does all of that crap. And people talk about him like he's this wimp who doesn't do any of these things. It's like, he basically, I think that he watched a lot of Andrew Bogut. And was like, if this guy who can't, like, move at all can be this good a screener, rebounder, and defender. If I just start to copy some of his mannerisms and his dastardliness, I he can play with really Aaron good. Baines and Zaza Pachulia. Yeah, exactly. You think he didn't... Yeah. So like, it's that's a thing that that's a total different thing. But... Well, get over it because you won't be seeing it no more. But yeah, so it's it's not at all. Um, it's not really a I told you so thing. In the end, I'm just I like to be right about things, but I'm not that worried about it anymore. And as I've said before. How good Andre Drummond is is no longer actually my problem. I will continue to root for him, 
Um, I will still enjoy watching him when I do watch, but it's no longer my issue anymore because he doesn't play for my team. But Expect me to quote tweet all of the Cavs people who are like, wow, Andre Drummond is really... Yeah. Like, I told you so. Yeah. I told you so. So, but yeah, I want to lose all the games because I think that even if they do well, um, unless it was a situation where they actually were playing all the young guys' major minutes, like we get Point Bruce as the starting point guard, and then, you know, Reggie and Derrick Rose are only filling in when Bruce isn't starting. And, you know, unless they did something like that. Which obviously then those guys would play really, really well. And obviously we don't take that. I hope that they're just a total disaster to the point that it hammers home to the front office. Do not go out and try and sign Fred Van Vliet or other guys like that this summer. It's a rebuild. It's time. Okay. Do not try and make a team that's going to count on Blake Griffin being healthy next year to be worthwhile. Don't sign a bunch of veterans that when Blake Griffin gets hurt, it just means we're going to win 35 games next year. That's why I don't want. Don't do that. <laughs> like, I'm fine with trying to compete, but at this point, if you build a team around the idea of, well, Blake Griffin's going to be healthy and make it through a season this year, it's malpractice at this point. <laughs> it was worth a shot. I'm, I, I was a staunch defender of the trade. I still think that it was the right trade. That trade was the right move to make. I'm glad they made that trade. They took their shot. I'm glad they took a shot. They missed. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm with you. You I, need to, you need to be willing to say I'm the person who would have made the trade, but I'm also a person who recognizes that Stan Van Gundy and Tom Gores spent like three years telling us, this is the trade we're going to make, and you can't act like you were surprised or disappointed that they executed the plan they'd had for three years. Yeah, like Nobody should be mad about that. Last season, I wish I wish I knew what that plan yeah. was for this run off. Yeah, last season he almost made it, but he didn't even make it through that season. He broke down. It probably cost Pistons two playoff seeds in that, and at the end of the season, and then it killed any chance they had at being competitive in the playoff series when they played the I mean, playoff series. I, I want to be fair to him. I think more than Blake Ish Smith missing all that time cost them that seeds because if Ish hadn't been out they would have had like four or five more wins in the middle of the season and he wouldn't have been pushing himself so hard at the end i, I also agree with that i'm i i backup point guards don't impact because everyone told me that oh it's gonna be such a great big difference because now they've got tim frazier and he's better than jose calderon and then the same thing happened and tim <laughs> frazier isn't like one guy doesn't have that much impact i just yes, it doesn't jose calderon definitely had that was a skeleton out there what are you talking about? Yeah, they they had a. He wasn't was worse than Steve Blake. Every player got worse. Every he wasn't worse than Steve Blake. He was on the court. He wasn't worse than Steve Blake, and they made the playoffs with Steve Blake as I'm their backup sure the entire all, season. All I'm saying is their win percentage with Ish healthy, and their win percentage without him. I think last time I calculated it, they were due six more wins than what they got in that stretch. Except they also went through a really tough bit of the schedule when he was hurt too. I think it was an away schedule, but I don't think it was like, that tough games. Like look, they lost okay, the game to the Suns. Ishmith like might help them win another game or two, maybe. But I thought it was silly going into this season. People thought, "Oh, well, now the fact that it won't be Jose Calderon is there." Well, it, it doesn't change that much. Like it just, it just doesn't. Like I unless think if we had happen, a healthy Reggie and a healthy, that yeah. would change something, and that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. So I just don't think that Ish was. 
he was not the instrumental. But that's another thing altogether. It's but just, we're talking about two games yeah. of Blake Griffin, yeah. really. Well, because the here's the thing: is that Blake Griffin missed a couple games at the end of the season, but he also was very clearly not right for a right. Long but he was there. pushing for two yeah. more wins that whole like last yeah, ten games. So, and if we'd had those two wins in February instead, well, he may not have to. Here's the larger point: okay, even if you have those two more wins, Blake is Blake still got hurt at the end of the season. Sure. Right. Sure. So basically, because the hope would have been right is. Get to the playoffs, Blake's healthy, and we know for a fact that if he's healthy, Blake Griffin is the kind of guy, it's like, I mean, this is the the Bill Simmons thing, which this isn't always true, but the team with the best player in a playoff series often wins the playoff series, right? And as a basic rule of thumb, that's not a bad one to have. Blake Griffin is the kind of guy that when he's healthy, he can be the best player in a playoff series, even against teams that have really good players, right? Like... Do you think that he could go into a playoff series? Could he have outplayed Kawhi Leonard in a playoff series? Not likely, but it's possible. It's not out of the realms of... It's not impossible, right? In Koo's in world, I have this one rule, and this is how... It's not a rule. This is like his own little tier. This is a little tier of players. Okay. So, like, for example, let's use Blake. Is Blake better than Giannis? No. No. Okay, but... But on any given night, could you see Blake outplay Giannis? Absolutely. That's that's my that's exactly. the tier I have Blake yeah. in. Like it, it, when you have that good of a player, it, like in a series or a couple of games, he's that good of a player where he can just outplay somebody and, and yeah. have that. And here's a wild stat, okay? For how badly the Bucks obliterated the Pistons, when Andre and Blake Griffin were on the floor in that series, even a utterly hobbled Blake Griffin, the Pistons were positive. That's a yep. true thing. So, like, so that was the hope, right? And because that's one of the things I was always frustrated. People are like, oh, so you're okay with just making the playoffs? No, I wasn't ever okay with it. The idea was hope you get into the playoffs healthy and be like, okay, we have Blake Griffin. It, he's a guy who is good enough that if he gets on a roll, you know, he gets hot. Like, I'm not saying that winning a championship is likely, but you could do something real. Like, this wasn't – so, like, just as an example, okay – so the Pistons, the first Stan Van, well, I guess not first, the Stan Van Gundy playoff year, okay? That team, they didn't have that guy. Like, I mean, they were scrappy, they were fun. There was not hope for them to go further than that. Maybe if no, guys they had needed better. Tobias Harris to be an isolation scorer, and that's not his yeah. game. Okay, so like, if they had just stuck with that exact roster with no improvements, that's like, okay, that's fair. Like, you're, what are you really trying to do here? But with the Blake Griffin, it, just like you said, Blake Griffin, like, especially if they had ended up the sixth seed instead of the eighth seed. So who had they played? The Sixers were the third seed that year, I think. Um, It was either the Sixers or the Raptors. But, like, Blake Griffin absolutely could be the best player in a Sixers series, right? Uh In fact, I would even guess that he would be because both of the Sixers' best players had Uh, crapped the bed in the playoffs consistently. So I think there's actually a good chance he could be that. You know, so it's like, so that's the hope. But he didn't make it through the year. He didn't quite make it. And then this year, obviously, he got hurt right at the start. So it's just like, it was a shot worth taking. But you just got to, you got to accept that it's not, it's not going to happen now. So, Can I ask a question about that? Yeah, go ahead. Now, this is not Koo making a statement either way. Koo is not saying anything. Koo is simply putting a question out there for people to answer. 
So this is not reflect. This is not a reflection of Koo's okay, beliefs. Okay, we get it, Koo. Um, um, do you guys believe that Dwayne Casey, uh, running the offense the way he did through Blake and how much Blake had to carry at the beginning of the season was a was a re, uh, was a factor in him falling apart? Well, let me think about. Let me think about something here a sec. So. You know, if you look at the Raptors teams that Dwayne Casey coached, every single year at the end of the season, Kyle Lowry was hurt and banged up, and he played poorly in the playoffs. Same with DeMar DeRozan. They, everybody said that every single year. Part of the reason that those two guys struggled in the playoffs is because they were dead, because they didn't run offense. Because Dwayne Casey was like, well, here, take the ball, go score, don't die. Yes, Koo. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there is no really question about it. <laughs> there's I just wanted to put absolutely that out no there. question. Yeah, By the way, that's another reason I hope they lose the rest of the games this season and convince them to just tank for next season as well. Because if they try and start winning again when Dwayne Casey is your head coach, it's a lost cause. I would really, really, really love if they went out and found their Nick Nurse. Not the guy who needs to who not not even the guy who is destined to take over for Dwayne. Just the a guy who does offense. Just the guy who has the X's and O's, pays attention to substitutions. Just find that game. Because, like, this is the thing I have trouble. I criticize Dwayne Casey a lot because he has made a lot of mistakes. Dwayne is, everyone says, a great dude. He has a lot of buy-in in the locker room. I don't truly believe he's responsible for as much development stuff as as people may okay. give him credit just a for. Let me butt but, in here a second. But let me, let, let me he butt in. has overseen some... Like, Dwayne, the head coach, is fine if he has that assistant and he doesn't have it here. Yeah. And that's been the problem. Not only does he not deserve as much credit, he deserves almost no credit for developing guys that people give him. It's actually baffling to me. It's like, people talk about DeMar... I'm going to bring this up. Screw this. We're not finishing yet. You're stuck here. You guys can leave if you want. I'm going nowhere. Okay, DeMar DeRozan. People give Dwayne Casey credit for DeMar DeRozan's growth as a a player. Okay, so the year before Dwayne Casey arrived, what do you think DeMar DeRozan's numbers were? Bad. DeMar DeRozan scored as a 22-year-old. He scored 17 points per game. With two assists per game on a true shooting percentage of 52%. Okay? Yeah, so bad. Okay. So, yeah, so not bad. I'm not great, but he's 22. He That was his second year in the league, okay? His second year, or third year then, under Dwayne Casey, he scored 18 points per game with two and a half assists per game on a true shooting percentage of 52%. His efficiency went up. Nothing fundamentally changed in his game. He made very basic linear progression. You already saw the a dynamic scorer who gets to the line a lot, struggles with efficiency, struggles as a passer, bad defender. He was that before Dwayne Casey arrived as a 22-year-old. Then well, I don't Casey, want to say anything, but only... Andrew Wiggins' 22-year year 22 season was 17-2 and two on yeah. 51% true shooting. Yeah. Yeah, wild. So, like, and so he he didn't do anything to make DeMar. 
The only thing that happened is Masai Ujiri traded Rudy Gay. So suddenly Dwayne Easy was like, well, I can't let Rudy Gay take 18 shots a game anymore. Because he was. Literally. Literally. He was like, oh, we're, now DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry have to take a bunch of shots. And then it was like, oh, Dwayne Keith was like, oh, wait, you mean these guys are way better than Rudy Gay was? Man, you'd almost think I was incompetent or something, letting Rudy Gay take all those shots. Like, people give Pascal Siakam his credit, too. Pascal Siakam didn't get good until Dwayne Casey left. Like, people realize that, right? Because breakout year was the year. Literally the year that he left. Yeah, literally. So it just, it's baffling to me that people... Like, look, he doesn't necessarily hinder guys' development. We've already seen that in Detroit, okay? Bruce Brown made a nice improvement. Luke Kennard made pretty good improvement. Andre Drummond made pretty good improvement. But people acting like, oh, he's this wizard with... Like, and once again, you can't say, oh, this doesn't count, because they literally talked about this at his press conference. They talked about how, oh, he's such a good developmental guy. He's going to be great for Stanley Johnson and Henry Ellenson. He's going to be great for those guys. He didn't do anything for them. They both flamed out. In fact, Stanley Johnson had his worst. <laughs> Stanley, Koo just went and picked up a Stanley Johnson shirt and is holding it up to his camera. Literally. Okay. Stanley, Stanley Johnson actually. Representing. Stanley Johnson actually had his worst season as a Piston when Dwayne Casey arrived. Right. Once again, you can't say, "Oh, well, those aren't his guys." You can't. They. You can bring it up literally in the press conference. Ed Stefanski was there, like, "Oh, we think he's gonna." One of the. One of the main reasons that they cited for bringing in Dwayne Casey is that we need our young guys to make improvements, and we think he's the guy to do that, to get the most out of guys like Henry Ellenson and Stanley Johnson, and he did nothing for them. Like, I don't get why anybody thinks he's this wizard at developing guys, because he's not. There's I think no he's evidence to a good staff that's done a good job, yeah. but I, yeah, I don't... He doesn't don't do a bad job. Done. He does fine. He's not afraid that of playing special. young guys when he has to. Guys are able to improve. Guys clearly want to play for him. Like, it's not bad. But why did people... Why does the people... This That was actually... That was the first strike against me having... Thinking that this front office was that good. Was when they said that in that press conference. And they made it out like... Dwayne Casey is this absolute genius in developing young talent. And it's like... Where did you get this idea from? Like, there's basically no evidence to suggest that he's anything remarkable here. But. Well, and to be slightly fair, I don't think head coaches generally yeah. are that impactful. Like Absolutely. That's, yeah. It's, uh, it's largely yeah. a guy's own want and desire. And then coaches' main thing is putting guys in situations to succeed, right? Right. Getting it's them it's in assistant right. coaches who understand, identify things, yeah. you know, good skill coaches, and then head coaches who say, here's the X and O's that put you in the right spot. And then the thing within that is, Dwayne Casey only helps a very specific type of guy with that. Guys who are able to just be given the ball and he says, okay, go score. If they do that, then it's great because that's all Dwayne Casey ever does in his offense. That's one of the reasons Derrick Rose has done well this season is that that's the thing Derrick Rose is good at is take the ball, go do something. He's good at that. So Derrick Rose has had a really nice season. If you're literally any other type of player, you're screwed. If you're Andre Drummond and it's like, well, that's not his forte. Well, (laughs) that's too fucking bad. That's what you're doing. Well, that's that's where I have a lot of troubles with the way Luke Kennard got critiqued for not being aggressive enough. And yeah. he was actually being pretty darn good. And it was like, wait a minute, do you think Luke Kennard needs to be Allen Iverson? Yeah. Is that what you want him to be? Because he's not going to be that. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. So that's another reason, though, 
Truthfully, like, this isn't even a joke. That's another reason why I hope that... Partially because I think that they should... Especially if they are potentially going to not tank long-term. I hope that they get as good a draft pick here as they can. Um, Because if they are, in fact, intending to go out and spend real money this summer to try and build a team to compete next year... Which, once again, that's the main thing that this Andre Drummond trade and the fact that they didn't trade anyone else says to me is they want to make sure they've got cap space for this summer. Um, which, as dumb as I think that is, um, that's that seems to be what they want. So if that's the case, they better get a good draft pick here because they're going to not have a chance at it again. Um, second off, hopefully if they're really bad, that can dissuade them from thinking that they can just spend some money this offseason to make it better. And thirdly, Hopefully it pushes it out to where they start to consider, oh, maybe Dwayne Casey's not the coach for this job for the future. Because I actually think getting Dwayne Casey out of there is probably the most important thing that they need to have happen if they want to compete for championships, like be contenders. Because you can't do it with Dwayne Casey as your coach. Absolutely. So, yeah. Cool, you got any final thoughts? Could tell us how you really feel about Dwayne Casey. What do you think about that? How do you think about what do you think about Dwayne Casey's development? I think he's a great man. <laughs> That's it, Koo. Nothing else. He's a great man. He's a great man. He is a great I applaud man. your professionalism. He is a great man. You are right about that. Okay. Last chance for any last thoughts, boys. Can we like do this again tomorrow? Because I think I'm gonna like sleep on this and then I'm gonna need to Um I, Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> So, all right, so we're going to call that here. We just crossed over the two-hour mark, so, you know, pretty decent I, length here. We have never, ever had a podcast together that hasn't been. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> Shout out to the four-hour roster yeah. two years ago. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I loved that. So, yeah, a bit of a frustrating day, but maybe it'll all work out. Maybe this front office really is just smarter than everyone else, and it'll work out okay. So, for now, stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.